Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening on this Christmas pageant day. We've got an extra special guest in the studio this morning. It is a garden historian and author and gardener, of course, as well. Trevor Nottle. Trevor, thanks for joining us in the studio this morning. Great pleasure. Lovely to have you here. Mm. And you have written a history of, a short history of gardening in Australia, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Fascinating stuff. It's for a prestigious UK journal. Um, hasn't even been printed yet, but we're going to get a little bit of a preview on it in just a moment. Um, but also... There is a lot of pleasure that can be gained from being in a garden for our children. So many things, it keeps them away from technology. It connects them to country and the earth through their fingers. It gets them understanding how gardens work. It gets them producing food that they can eat and then learn how to cook. And we all know that there's well-being that comes from actually being outdoors and being in the garden. So, so much to gain. And so it's nice to welcome to the studio a man that's very keen to teach them. And that is Mac Jukic from the Botanic Gardens. Mac, nice to have you in this morning. Oh, it's lovely to be in. Hi, Deb. Hi, Trevor. Hi, Hi. listeners. Lovely to have you here. Now, we're going to put the call out to you right now. If you would like to join us with your best tips for encouraging green thumbs, you know, you might have grandchildren or children in your life. What are you doing? And for me, it's not so much about just getting them out there once. It's keeping their interest and keeping it going and making it a passion. If you've had success in that, let us know. But also, if you've got any gardening questions, we're going to intersperse them during our conversations this morning. The number to call is one three hundred triple two eight nine one, And we're going to go straight to a call before we get into a short history of gardening with you, Trevor, because John from Clarendon Park has called in relation to a gum tree. Mm. Welcome, John. What's your query? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's not, not Clarendon. It's Ferriden Park. Oh, Ferriden uh, Park. Right. No worries. And it's a prune um, uh, Stanley um, plum. And um, uh, the uh, the side of the trunk um, is having this like sawdust coming through, and I'm a little bit worried that it may affect the other trees. It's uh, meant to go to about four to six metres, but the trees, uh, I think I put it in there about 2009, slowly it fruits each year, bumper crops, and I'd like to know uh, whether I can treat it or there's a specialty um, uh, chemical that will do the job. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I th- yeah, you've got a borer if it's their sawdust coming out, and yeah. it, it it might even have some gum coming out as well. Um, and really, the only thing you can do is get a long, thin piece of wire and mm-hmm. poke it in as far as you can, and twist it round and hope that you stab the little creek. Uh-huh. <laughs> because it it's it would be diffi- very difficult to poison it. Uh-huh. So um, you've got to try to prevent it as best you can, and that's what I would do. But I would be well aware that I would need to perhaps replace the tree. Really? Yeah. Because it's not just the borer making a hole that causes the damage. It mm-hmm. actually weakens the structure of the tree when it's got a great hole bored through it. And so in a high wind, especially if it's heavy with fruit, uh-huh. it'll snap. So, And um, if uh, I try, I mean, I don't, how big are these borers? I mean... Uh, well, that depends on which borer you've got, but, but uh, I won't bore you with all the kinds it could be. But yeah. that's the, the way I would try to treat it, but I would recognise it. It might not be successful. And will it affect other trees like the citrus next to it? Or no, it shouldn't. Un- it might affect similar trees like peaches and, and nectarines maybe, but it yeah. shouldn't affect citrus, that's for sure. And, and can I ask a silly question? Um, what about, I was thinking about smothering it with, you know, like wax or something. Would that stop the critters? Uh, well, what happens is the creature lays its, the one, of the one phase of the creature lays its eggs and they hatch and then the borer goes to work. It hatches uh-huh. as a borer, as a caterpillar, and it goes to work and it goes into as far as it goes. Then it 
turns into a pupa, a hard little thing in a shell, and eventually that hatches out as some kind of butterfly or moth. So if you seal it in there, uh-huh. well, you might you might kill the ones that are already there, but the damage will have been done perhaps to the structure of the tree, and it won't stop more doing the same thing. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. it's it's a bit of a problem for you, and as I said, but that's what I would do and the way I would go about it. And there's no arborist that would be treating these borers, or oh heck. I'm sure you'd find one if you had a thousand dollars to spend, but um, oh, that's okay. not being joking. I mean, they would. Yeah. It's having an arborist come out is a pretty expensive deal for a yeah. tree that's not hugely significant, except to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I would ha- have a go myself, and then if it's not working, I would just say, "Well, that didn't work. I'll try another one." All right. All right. Oh. Was Sorry about that. I can hear the no. disappointment in your voice there, John. Well, I love this tree because it's from Tassie and it's and it's been you know cropped full with jams and stuff. And uh, I mean, I can graft another one into a, maybe an apricot root. Oh yeah, you could. But, yeah, good idea. Uh, but um, um, I, 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 I've only just started grafting. I've been okay with it, but uh, if I don't hit the borers, how long will the tree last? Is I suppose a magic question. Well, until the borers do so much damage that the tree dies or it breaks. So that's a really difficult thing to estimate. No, no, that way if I can graft uh, between the next season or two, then... Oh, you know. I think you could do it as soon as the wood starts to harden up a bit. Oh. I mean, it's green and growing now, isn't it? Softish. Yes, yes it is, yes. Yeah, so I'd, I'd wait until maybe oh, early January, late December, when the wood is still green but harder. Yes. And I would start trying to graft it then. You might need to take that in spring. No, not necessarily. Um, I mean, there's okay. You you give me a bit of a hope. I mean, I I didn't realise I could I could do a a grafting that late in the season. I thought uh, no, no. I mean, there's wonderful times to do it, but there's other times when you can do it, and it's worth a try. All right, mate. Well, thank you for good. (laughs) Good luck with it. (laughs) Turn that frown upside down, John. Give it a go. Thank you. Thanks very much for the call. Uh, Pauline has called in from Adelaide in relation to onion weed. Oh, yes, I know this problem, Pauline. I just want to check first that it is onion weed. It's got a very long stem stem with no um, leaves on it, and then it's got pretty white flowers on the top. No, they're not pretty white flowers, Pauline. (laughs) They're horrible white flowers. (laughs) They're disguises. Yeah, yeah, because they drop lots of seed. Have you tried to Mm. dig one up? Yes. And has it yes. got thousands of tiny, tiny little grains on the outside? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you ne- that's the only way I've found of getting rid of them is to dig them up wholly. So I use a special, right. a special very narrow kind of trowel mm. um, that's called a fern trowel, and I dig yeah. it, de- I push it down as hard as I can go, far, and then I try to get the whole thing out together. And mm. not, it's, I know it's hard and I know it's time consuming, oh, but that's it's right. the, the yeah. only way I have found that works. Yeah. Uh, if you spray, the, the little bulbs will very likely come back next year. Yeah. And you have to spray again, and you might have to do it again. And mm. I'd just rather think, well, okay, I'll c- clear out a metre square or two metres square. Mm. And, and More than that. Yeah, oh. but you've got to do it mm. yeah, a bit yeah, at a time. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, um, it, the, in one patch, it's got really big, hard, looks like mushrooms. And when you go and pick them up, they're actually really hard. Yeah. And they're choking there's lots and lots of them in one spot and there's a couple of spots like that would that be the same stuff i doubt it if the, if it's a hard fungus that means mm. there's something is it near a tree or a tree root uh the, it's, there's roots from the there's a massive tree on the footpath okay well then it, the whole place is, t- is root bound out the front anyway yeah, that's that. a that's a different problem Oh, right. Uh, yeah, it's it's not associated with the garlic. That's a oh. problem about a fungus growing on the tree roots. Maybe it oh. means that the tree is not very happy 
and if mm. if it's on the footpath, it belongs to your local council. So I would call them and ask the arborist to come and have a look at it. That, yeah, okay. Um, yes. it's. A, I know that in the old days there used to be a well there, so there's ah. a water source somewhere yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, I, I think that's the best you can do is so, dig the onions as much yeah. as you can and get the council to take responsibility right. for so what's theirs. so they've just got that fine roots with fine ones on it. Not, yeah. It's nothing to do with the white ones. No. And if that's a similar thing that you would do with um, nettles, just dig right down as far as you can. Oh, no, you can pull them out by hand. It. They're easy. Yeah. Put, just oh, get some I rubber gloves or something like that Yeah. and and just pull them out. They're easy. If oh, you've got chooks, they love them. I just, no, we haven't. Sorry. You can the make tea have, out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I once had enough to make tea for the rest of the world. Oh. <laughs> um, but they are a lot better. <laughs> they are a lot better. Thank yeah. you anyway. Okay. Thanks, Bye. Pauline. Good luck because the weeds have just loved the season so far. Now, Sally from Warridale has called in with a suggestion for our caller with a borer in the uh, plum tree. Hi, Sally. Oh, hi. Um, I would find that tea budding would be preferable to grafting in the hot weather. Okay, yeah, that's that's wise advice. Um, yes, if the gentleman knows how to do a, a well, tea Well, he sounds bud. to me like he's taken a course or attended yeah. a, a lesson somewhere. So if he can do the twig grafting, he can do the bud grafting as well. Uh, not necessarily, but but it, he could look it up on online, yeah. or I can leave you my number offline. Oh, don't so worry about that, Sally. But we'll but yeah. well, I might get a bit of an explanation. Thank you very much yeah. for the call. Yeah, one more one more thing he could do: um, prune trees grow from cuttings reasonably well. Oh yeah. So if you, if you put a whole lot of cuttings in, yep. Um, he, he may have okay. some success with that. Well, Break we can... them off with a heel on them. Yep. Brilliant. All right. Thank you very much for calling in, Sally. If you want to ask some advice of Trevor Nottle, he is here waiting for your calls on 1300 222 But up next, we're looking at a short history. And how short is it is the question of gardening in Australia next. Talkback Gardening. It sure is Talkback Gardening with our special guest today, Trevor Nottle, in the studio. Trevor has just written a short history of gardening in Australia, about to be published in Hortus, Mm -hmm. the journal in the United Kingdom. Now, when you think about Australia, there are are two parts of Australia, aren't there? There are the First Nations people, been here for we don't know how long, 60, 80, more thousand years. And then there's colonised history, yes. just over 200 years. So in your short history of Australian gardening, how did you approach it? Well, it had to be short because that was the amount of time I had to do it. <laughs> but uh, I, I went back and I, I've read quite a few of the books and literatures about uh, First Nations people and how they did things. And I've read books about... Um, and discussed with other people about how that, what they did was viewed by the colonists. Now, the very early colonists observed people harvesting yams and things like that, and seed heads, and um, but they were sort of fell away into the history as more white people came and more white people took more land, and so... In that case, we've got this warped history where the colonial view of things was given prominence. And it was only just recently, in the last maybe 10 years, a bit longer, that an Indigenous perspective has been advanced by Indigenous people themselves and by researchers. So that's how far back I went. Um, but there's... More ways than one of looking at history. We conventionally look at history as being written by the winners. But there are another school of historians, including me, not that I'm a very great one, but who take a broader view of history than that. So in the history that I wrote, we're talking about a lot of other things that happened and influenced what was going on. For instance... When Australia was settled, there were lots and lots of people who were not English here. Uh, 
that and they didn't make to be great graziers or land settlers or they were just ordinary people who worked as gardeners and horticulturists and who grew food and those people have been forgotten i mean you only just think of the italian and greek migration oh. you know those people altered what we eat and what we grow and where are they in, in the history, proper in garden history? Yeah, that's right, because, you know, you'd have uh, your Italian neighbours would have uh, olive trees that they'd harvest and they'd brine the olives. They had vine leaves. They'd make the vines into domades or, you know, it, it, you'd harvest everything in that yeah. garden and, and eat it. Yeah, so um, that's the sort of thing that interests me is how – all of those things come together to make the culture that we know today. It's not about winners and losers. It's about people who put in the effort and largely are not remembered at all. But really great things have been happening here recently. A couple of years ago, uh, I met a Greek lady who actually had some funding from a Greek cultural group, and she began to collect and photograph oral histories oh, of man. old people who were in Adelaide, Port Lincoln, in Iron Triangle, old women in their 90s who still garden and grow medicinal herbs, Greek traditional food herbs and vegetables, and she interviewed them and made videos about them and made a really great little exhibition, and I'm hoping that she will continue to do that, and we're trying to find out about giving her a bigger exhibition later this year. Well, you'll have to give me her details yeah. and we'll get her on Talk Back Gardening yeah. and have a chat about it because but, you're quite right. There are so many different histories that aren't integrated yeah. into our gardening history. We look yeah. at gardening history as the, the landscapers that are paid to, you know, do the beautiful homes as, as if that's the only history that mm. exists. But there's history in every person's backyard. That's true. And it just... It's touched by so many things. I didn't know until I started researching this last effort that there were Australians in early colonial Australia. Alexander Maclay was one who built um, Elizabeth Bay House in Sydney. He had slaves. They were legal. Uh. They weren't field slaves. Though He had little boys that carried around his wife's train and... He, a change of creamy white trousers if you got dirty when he went out to do business in town. But it was legal. He bought them in India. They were children, and he brought them here. It was legal to own slaves until about 1835. So we don't know how many other people brought them, but if he brought them, he wouldn't have been the only one because no. lots of our important early white settlers had been working in colonial India, and there were just people for sale everywhere because every war that won the losing side and their army all got handed over to the slave market and uh, it just really surprised and shocked me a bit and then um, I found out through Peter Gores that there was a history here in South Australia of slave owning families from the UK when slavery was abolished they the slave owners got paid massive compensation for their loss of business. And some of those families sent their sons and other adults out to South Australia and used some of the money to buy into the South Australia Company and get land handouts, wow. which is really... I've, it's just fascinated me. And, it, it, yes, it is worrying and concerning, but we've got to acknowledge that it happened. Well, that's what history should be. Yeah. It should be recording all uh, of it, the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, but it makes a wonderful tapestry. Yeah, well, I can't wait to read it. So, obviously, we have to wait for it. it it's, it's committed yes. to that particular journal. When's it going to be published? Uh, I'm told that it will be published in the northern winter, so probably around Christmas time. Okay, well, you'll have to send us through a copy. I would love to have a read of that. Thank you very much for that um, short history of gardening in Australia. Not so short, as it turns out, <laughs> going back tens and tens of thousands of years. Um, also in the studio with us this morning, and I should say, call in with your gardening questions on 1300 222 891. But we're also going to ask you your suggestions for getting young people involved. And uh, just before I get to that we had this the problem with the borer for John earlier this morning. Chad, 
on the text line says, hope he hasn't got that new imported borer from Fiji. The Bora Bora Bora. Ha ha. Yes, thanks, Chad. Nice to have a bit of um, laughter here on Talkback Garden great. this morning. Um, so let's introduce our, our the guest in the studio, who's Matt Jukic. Uh, now, Matt is from the Botanic Gardens. Now, is your title education coordinator? What What is your title? You tell us, Matt. Yeah, so uh, I'm the education coordinator over at Botanic Gardens and State Herbarium, and it's just an absolute pleasure to be able to work with young people in the garden every day. Well, welcome to the studio. Before we get into what, exactly what it is that you do, I just uh, you said earlier that your young'uns aren't so young anymore, Trevor, but no. were you involved in trying to get them into the garden? Oh, I tried hard, but I couldn't succeed. Oh, right. <laughs> that was the days of Pokemon and all those other little clicky things that, yeah. Oh, the, it's, the days are worse now. Yeah. There, are, there are a lot well, more things to distract young people on technology, no. that's for sure. Um, but we'd love to hear from you if you have had real success in getting your young people involved in the garden love to hear from you call in i'd love to have a chat with you on 1300 222 891 or you can send us a text 0467922891 jen from netley says let the kids choose the seed and seedlings they want to plant and then compare the growth then they're more invested in it well that would be good if, if you could set up a bit of competition between your kids wouldn't it they always like that um and uh what have we got here? Dave says, with my nephew and niece, we explore my garden looking for insects and critters. We have lots of fun engaging in nature. Birds, lizards, butterflies, insects galore, which is lovely. And uh, Jenny at Mildura uh, says, my, mm, oh, no, we might be speaking to Jenny, so I won't say that yet. Uh, but Melissa from Gawler joins us on the line already. Before we even ask Mac what he does, Melissa, what suggestions do you have for getting kids involved in the garden? Well, my 16-year-old um, is is a little bit contrary. So if you tell her she can't do it, she's right into it. So um, if you, like, you can't really grow strawberries from seed. So she picked the seeds off a strawberry and she's got these tiny little germinating strawberry seeds and mango seeds. Anything she eats now, she's germinating on the windowsill and really excited every day to go and see whether there's a little sprout or a new leaf or it's just remarkable. And um, and I think it's that little bit, nobody else can do this and I can and we just really foster that because it's just, it is, it's really exciting and um, and she loves it. That is fantastic, Melissa, and I love the fact that you know her nature well and you've used it to challenge her. <laughs> you can't do this. Well, I'm going to show you that you can. That is magnificent. Oh, yeah. oh that's wonderful. And, you know, like kids are, kids are good at things we're not good at, like technology, and she knows where all the apps are and everything, and she's shown me this app that I can point at a plant and identify it and... So we're all learning. It's really it's really cool, yeah. That is great. Well, look, thanks for calling, Melissa. Call in with your gardening questions. We're going to integrate them through the program on 1300-222-891. And call in with your advice on how to get your young people interested and retain that interest in the garden. Uh, the numbers again, text 0467922891, phone line 1300-222-891. We'll find out what Mac is up to at the Botanic Gardens in just a moment. Talk Back Gardening with John. It is Talk Back Gardening. It's with Trevor Nottle this morning, our uh, gardener, our gardening historian and writer. And also joining us in the studio is Mac Jukic, who is. Let me get it right again. Education coordinator. That's the one. Thank you. With Botanic Gardens and State Herbarium. And we're asking you for your gardening questions. And also, if you would like to talk to us about children, we'll get into what you do in just a moment, Mac. But first up, Brendan has called in from Flagstaff Hill. Welcome, Brendan. Yeah, good day. Um, so I have uh, nearly five and an 18 month old, and they've each gotten Christmas presents of their own fruit trees. So my nearly five-year-old will go out and sing to his fruit tree and talk to it and loves to see it grow. And then when grandparents come over, he loves to show them how much it's grown and all the fresh growth and stuff as well. Um, and it helps that it's an apricot tree, so it's actually put on a fair bit of growth in the last 12 months. So he's really excited to see that and when the leaves fall and new growth and all those sort of things. Oh, that is a fantastic thing to do. This is, this is your present, this is your gift, and you now take care of that gift. That, yeah. That's great. And so he refers to it as his tree. Ah, oh, lovely. Get, get that ownership and, and that sense of responsibility at the same time. Now, Brendan, did you have a question as well? I did. I have a number of um, 
stone fruit. And like a lot of people, it looks like I've been hit by a leaf curl quite badly, um, season after season. I sprayed copper on them this time, and I was really proud of myself because I thought I'd got it just right, um, but absolutely pillaged by it on five or six different trees in the garden. Just wondering if there's any advice other than wait till the end of the season and spray with copper, wait till the start of the season and spray with copper. I'm happy to forego a season of fruit because it's just, yeah, I want to get rid of the stuff. Okay. Well, um, yeah. You've, if you've got it, you've got it, and that won't go away. So even if you spray it now, you'll have yeah, yeah. the new leaves. Will be right. Right so first of all, when autumn comes, rake up all the leaves, and if there's any fallen fruit that's gone black and landed on the ground or rotted, uh, clean up around the trees very thoroughly. Okay. That, that's a good thing to do. And then when you see that the buds are beginning to swell, when they're just showing a little bit of pink, then's the time to spray. But if it rains, you need to do it again. And if it rains... Within how many hours? Oh, um, I would say probably... Well, well, no, you've got to be sensible about it. You can't rush home yeah. from work and do it. Um, but... Just yeah, be aware so that you've I mean, got to... Is if I spray the copper yeah. and then it rains a day later, a week later, a month later? Like oh, if, after is... a month. It's on, it only controls the, the black, um, the curl leaf is only uh, active as the flower opens. Okay. Okay, so that's when the damage is done. Just when the, when the flower opens, the petals fall and the new leaves just begin to emerge. So you've just oh, yeah. got to keep the cover up for about a month. And within reason, is it possible to overspray and give copper poisoning, I heard, somewhere? or I doubt it. Okay. It, it, the, the, the mix is not that strong. So follow directions is always yes, follow the, key. the directions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. More is yeah. more is not necessarily better. <laughs> of course. Yeah, thank, yeah. Thanks, Brendan. I love your advice on getting children involved. Thank you very much for calling in. Thank you. Uh, Ray is in Richmond with an elm tree problem. Oh, it's not the dreaded elm leaf beetle, is it, Ray? Hello. Hello. No, I don't. I don't know what what's the problem. Is it's losing a lot of leaves. It's a very it's a large tree. Um, when you look at the tree, you can't see where they're actually coming from. But our lawn is covered uh, with smaller yellow leaves uh, dropping. At an alarming rate. Is it still growing? Is it still growing? Yes. 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 So it's making new leaves. What? Well, I don't know, uh, Trevor. Well, uh, you need to have a little look, because if it's making new leaves, I wouldn't be hugely worried about it, right. given given the strange spring that we've had. But if it isn't making new leaves, then I would be worried about it, because you might have an elm beetle attack, or you could have damaged roots because we've had a long, very wet winter, even in Richmond, and if you've got really heavy soil, some of the roots could actually have drowned in the winter, and if that's the case, the the root system that's still alive hasn't got enough scope to draw up all the water that the leaves need, so that's why it could be losing some. It could be just shedding them because the roots can't support what's happened above. So just have a good look and be careful. Um, don't climb up, but check the leaves. If they're eaten around the edge, you'll know that you've got a lawn beetle there. Some, uh, sorry, an elm beetle there somewhere. But uh, otherwise, I suspect it's either growing well after a very long winter or it might have been suffer- suffering from some too much wetness at the root. Right. The foliage looks very, very healthy. I would take that as a very good sign, but just go out and check and keep your eyes on it. Right. I did have some cut. I did have some trimmed off it by uh, about three or four months ago because it was getting too big. Yeah. Um, It didn't didn't cut a lot. Uh, So then it lost its leaves, but the leaves are very... uh, uh, very, very healthy looking. Well, I'd say that's a pretty good response to being right. pruned. Right, okay. Great. All right. Thank you very much for that. Thanks for calling in, Ray. Um, now, we're going to get to more calls in a moment, but let's talk to Mac Jukic about what you do now. Mac, you're actually a teacher. 
Is it in primary or secondary school before you moved into your work at the Botanic Gardens? I came from about a decade of uh, high school teaching and, and that was, you know, quite various fields of history and then into geography and even some creative arts and things. Um, but that turned into a bit of getting kids into the garden and conservation and um, it was just a slow, easy move into um, sort of what I, what I do now. Um, so what, what sparked it? Oh, I think it was just a passion for sustainability and seeing kids actually connecting with with being outside. You know, when you've got kids that um, they may not be the most academic or they may not be that interested in school even, um, to see them outside and having a really wonderful time and then having that smile on their face Mm -hmm. after, and that's for all the kids really, Mm -hmm. um, I just, something sort of twigged for me and I went, I think it's quite important to all ages, not just, you know, myself and and my grandparents and and my parents. And you've got to start somewhere. That's the thing, Mm -hmm. isn't it? You can't, you Mm -hmm. don't just, well, you can, you can become a gardener at 60 if you choose to there's nothing to prevent you from doing that but it's great if you ingrain that from a young age and you feel that the garden is your place because in my view there are three things you never regret going for a walk having a swim or getting into the garden they all give you a real sense don't they of, mm. of well-being and yep. and connection so what is it that the botanic gardens and state herbarium is actually offering school children yeah we've got lots on so um we do have some uh trails through our collections across the three sites of Adelaide, Mount Lofty and Watunga Botanic Gardens. Uh, we do um, take classes through and we try to get them really hands-on and in the garden and experiencing that. And they're thematically curriculum aligned, so National Australian curriculum. So you might be going on an ancient Egypt trail, you might be going on an Aboriginal plant use trail, which is very popular and I'm so happy to, to see that when yeah, kids are engaging. Wow. Talking about the history of Australian gardening, that's where it starts. Absolutely. Um, and we're now branching a bit into involving a little bit of technology, which which is a tool rather than the focus to get kids engaging in some space botany. Very exciting. But one of our most popular programs is our Little Sprouts Kitchen Gardening Program, um, which is just an absolute blast to have kids coming through and doing. So what are they? What are the Little Sprouts doing? Obviously, they're growing stuff to eat. Yeah, so we bring them in for a, about an hour with their class. Um, we have some amazing volunteers, and we're, also keen, we're always keen for more volunteers to come and join us. Um, but with our volunteers, we have a few different activities. Kids will learn about seeds, where they come from, how they form, life cycle, and then they end up taking something back to school and sort of reporting back to us on it, usually some peas or something really mm-hmm. tasty. Uh, they also get to meet some of our Wrigley uh, tiger worms for their composting. And it's great to then talk about that, you know, food um, not being wasted. Um, and lastly, and we, we go for a sensory walk through the garden. So it's a really important thing to connect them, engage all the senses, and then also harvest as well and get them sent home back to school with arms full of veggies. I love that because it's a holistic approach. You're mm-hmm. looking at the whole of the garden. You plant, you care, you nurture, you weed, you see the uh, microorganisms all reacting together. Then you harvest, then you cook, and so it goes. I love that whole life cycle approach rather mm-hmm. than just taking an aspect of it and teaching kids. That is fantastic to hear. So can anybody, obviously you're going through the school system, Mm. but are there school holiday programs that people that are listening now that have got children, grandchildren or children in their life that they care for think, well, I'd like a bit of that for my kids? Absolutely. So every uh, school holidays, we have some public programming happening. Uh, Coming up in December, we'll have a little bit of our Christmas programming. So botanical bits and making cards and all those sorts of things. But January especially, um, we have a very special January coming up where we are receiving the tiny Oz uh, model of of essentially the Botanic Gardens in Adelaide. You might have seen the ABC show Tiny Oz where they created this whole diorama. It's going to be on display and we're theming our public programs around that. And part of that will be some, I think, some little sprouts gardening um, for the public. Generally, it is for classes through the school term, but we've got a whole bunch of programs coming up and that's going to be probably through the website and the What's On page. Well, yeah, I, I subscribe. So the easy thing is, is to go onto the Botanic Gardens webpage, become a subscriber, and then you get sent the newsletter, which tells you all of these things as they're coming up. But give us a hoy again before you have these programs on in the school holidays so that we can let people know about them. But that just sounds fantastic. Um, and you've also got some exhibitions on at the moment um, at the Museum of Economic Botany. Yeah, so we've got Krista Rose's seaweeding exhibition. Um, that's in the Museum of Economic Botany up until the 29th of January, so a good span over the holidays. It's this really cool sort of almost alien landscape. And essentially it's it's seaweed, which, you know, is almost this, this for me, um, this alien world, which is just so imaginative 
narrative. Mm-hmm. But there is some local history in there. Um, so talking about the short history of gardening, it's a bit of an um, unsung history. So I really recommend people get in there and see that. Um, but essentially, it's from Wednesday to Sunday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. Um, we have works that are large scale sculptures. There's some screen prints, digital prints, and they're all inspired by spongia, aquatic plants and algae as well. And do you take home what you teach? Have you got your own home garden going? Have you got children in your life that are involved? Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite passionate here because I've um, moved to the northeastern suburbs and I've, I'm, I'm on my journey of, you know, sort of um, my olive tree and, and preserving and my citrus and my stone fruits. Um, and I've got my first uh, on the way in February, my first kid, I should say, not my first tree. Um, <laughs> so I'm so looking forward to being able to be in that garden. And as our caller said before, you know, have them with their own personal tree and watching that grow as they grow um, it's going to be very very sweet I think how exciting for you Mac that is lovely news uh, thank you to Arthur on the text line told me off because I said there are three things you never regret he adds um, reading as well quite right Arthur uh, I, I love doing that Jackie from West Croydon sent a text through saying I think as parents grandparents aunties and uncles it's up to us to instill a love of gardening oh no we've got Jackie I don't need to read that out. Jackie, we've got you. Hello. Yes. Hi, Deb. How are you? Good, thank you. You can tell us. I won't read your text. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I do really believe it's up to us as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles that um, to instill a love of gardening and nature and nurturing plants at a young age in our kids. Um, How do you do it and what, what's been your own experience? Um, so I come from three or more generations of gardeners and I have lovely memories as a child walking through my grandma's garden and she would point out the names of plants and uh, let me pick them and they she would um, also show me the vegetables they've planted and yeah, it's been a lovely journey with my family and also getting involved, I think, in local community gardens. I'm also involved in a community garden over on Park Terrace and there's a children's garden there and it's where we encourage young families to come along with their kids and that's happening and yeah, I think it's leading by example. It's Yeah especially if those that don't have the opportunity within their own families um, to be able to have a garden, to come along to the community gardens and that's where they can lead by example for their own children and um, instill that love of gardening as well. That's fantastic, Jackie. Thank you. Lovely to talk with you. Um, Really putting it it all into practice and, and sharing that wisdom. And community gardens are great for that because they're cross-generational aren't they mm. you can be mm. you can be five you can be 105 well maybe not out in the garden actively but you've got that wisdom of a lifetime there so that's brilliant thanks Jackie lovely to hear from you no uh, worries. thanks and uh, Caroline has called in from Gawler Caroline what do you do to encourage your young people my grandson who lives in the UK was asked recently what he wanted for Christmas And he said he was given the option of an allotment or a trampoline. And he chose the allotment. Smart kid. At three, I don't think that's too bad at all. Oh, I think no. I think you've got a budding gardener there, Caroline. Good start. <laughs> that's lovely. <laughs> um, oh, thank you, three. That's a very young age to get going. What a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And we're going back to our talkback gardening questions. If you've got one, call in now, 1300-222-891 is the number. And um, also keep your texts coming in relation to how you engage your young people. This texter says it's very important to get young uh, kids in the garden, teaching them how nature actually works and thank you to Trevor at Grenock says the Barossa Bush Gardens have a special traditional plant use trail Refirst Nations use of plants several of us conducted a tour of these plants with 50 children and staff of Agola Primary School yesterday it was great to see the interest of these young children particularly their questions it's lovely Trevor thank you um, a side of our gardening history that needs to be further examined and don't forget I have got a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little bit later in the program let's head to Manham good morning Kim good morning uh, Devon Trevor good morning I good morning I have grown my fruit trees my little mini orchard 
from seeds of fruit I bought from a local supermarket. And I had what I think would be a, a, one of the dark, large dark plums of five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about two metres tall. Uh, in a, a, about six or eight weeks ago, it had an enormous number of white flowers, small white flowers. Yep. And I thought, it's going to have an enormous crop, but not one, not one has set fruit. Okay. Could uh, you tell me why? Yeah, I think. Um, have you got any other plum trees nearby? Not nearby. Nothing like that in fruit, in, in no, flower. No. Well, I think maybe you've got a variety that needs to have another plum tree nearby to cross-pollinate. Mm. If, no. you don't, if you don't have room, find a neighbour who's got a tree, a different one to yours, preferably, and when it's just about flowering time, cut off a sh- branch, stick it in a bucket of water and leave it under the tree and let the b- bees do their thing and see what happens. I think you need a cross-pollinator. I can't recall anyone having a, a simple oh. fruit tree. Well, you might have to go down to the um, Manham Garden Club and ask them. Yes, yes, I will do that. Yeah, You're I think, right. yeah, it's not a huge problem. It shouldn't be anyway. Um, but, no, yeah, yeah. but it was a glorious tree. Yeah. An enormous number of flowers. Gets a bit right, frustrating. Your <laughs> okay. Yeah, good. do that, Thank Kim. You, I've got one of those in my backyard as well. Thank you. Lovely to hear from you, Kim. Those incredible. Kim's got an incredible voice. Um, Clint says, My mum inspired me into the joy of flora as we grew herbs and veggies on our rural property. My old man squashed it a bit, making me remove all the prickly whorehound from the paddock. (laughs) Uh, That's a a lifelong lesson in weeding right there. Colette of Clearview, I knew she'd add in to this particular story, says, Every child in my life walks into the front and back gardens and shook yard and orchard and asks, What's to eat? They've all planted, pruned, picked, cooked here. It's a normal activity to do a garden tour. Love it. Well, you are really, really giving people a lot of um, skills there, Colette, so congratulations to you doing that. On the text line, Jenny from Mildura says, My mother always involved her grandchildren in the garden. They were helping her and loved it. One became a horticulturalist. So there you go. Start young. You never know where it's going to leave. Um, Malcolm and Diane from Kenton Valley say plant potatoes in pots or bags because all kids love potatoes, and that is so true. Uh, I think the secret is giving kids permission to get muddy and dirty, says this texter. That's very true mm. as well. So lots of great ideas coming through on the text line. Our numbers to phone in one 891 to text in 0467922891. Rose is at Moonter. Rose, you've got a problem with your fruit trees not developing fruit as well. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Actually, I've got two things to tell you. But I've got a, an apricot tree and I've got a peach tree. And they get a bit of blossom. At the, they're, quite, they're prolific. They've grown prolifically. They're about three metres high. Lots of leaves, but just the fruit just doesn't develop. How old are they? Well, uh, one is... They're both about eight years old. Oh, okay. And, well, they should be doing something by now. Uh, are the leaves green? The leaves are green. Okay. On on the peach tree, there's something's been eating the leaves, but I'm just uh, on the apricot tree. It's just grown and grown and grown. Okay. We've cut it back, yep. but just no fruit comes. We have had a bit of fruit, but I'm just wondering if we should cut it out. No. No, if, okay. you know, I'm sure you'll be able to get it to flower and and fruit. Um, mm. But I would, the soil at Moont is pretty ordinary, um, as I remember from my grandmother's garden. Uh, I reckon you might need to add some trace elements and iron uh, to, right. to, <laughs> to encourage it to make better growth and form flower buds, more flower buds. Um, have you got neighbours right. with trees around about? Look, we've got we've got lots of trees. We've got apricot trees. We've got um, the area where we are is I think it was old farming. It's on it's facing the big Victoria Park, mm-hmm. and um, the soil is really good. Everything else grows except these two. And okay. I just wondered, so I'll probably put some trace elements. Yeah, and yep, yeah, and um, I would use a 
also, not just trace elements, but um, there's there's another variety, and I just can't get it off my tongue at the moment. Uh, <laughs> um, can but you it's, help, Mac? No, yes. No. It's uh, mineral mix. Mineral and, mix. Yeah. And, okay. But don't put on a bucketful. Just... Do it lightly, but more often. Some say once a year, some say once every month, but I would just use it at about a third strength or a third the application rate. Just do it gently. Right. Now, um, now we've got... uh, Sorry, I've got got an extra one. We've got an old orange tree, which is about 20 years old, has lots of blossom, but it's very straggly now, and I just... How long do orange trees last? I reckon it's about the end of its useful life. They can last a long time, but they don't produce much fruit. So if you want the fruit, I'd get rid of it. If it's not doing what you pay it to do, I'd get rid of it. Yeah, I will. And one last thing about children and and growing stuff. Um, I work in, I sometimes work in, in the local school, and... One day I was going to make wormery, so I took this big bag. I've got a compost heap, so I dug up a whole lot of worms and dirt, put them in a bag. But when I got there, I wasn't having that class. I had a year three class, so I thought, oh. Anyway, half the kids, oh, about six kids run under the table because as soon as the relief teacher comes <laughs> in, they play up. <laughs> so um, anyway, so, anyway, so I said to the other kids, look, just get me some A3 paper. And we did, we set it all out. And then I tipped the worms out. I tipped the bucket, all the compost and all the worms out. And I said, look, you've got to see how many different worms you got. Right. Those other kids shot out from under the table. And, you know, they're all totally engrossed. Mm. Some of them had never held a worm before. And they were, they were feeling it wriggling on their skin. And you know what? That was about six weeks ago. And those kids still come up to me in the, in the playground and say, when are you coming into our class again? Aha. Uh-huh. There you go, Rose. Great. And I thought that was really good. And yeah, I that's brilliant. Of, yeah, it was brilliant. And I bought one of those $50 bags of eggs from Bunnings and didn't get any worms, actually. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think. All right, Rose. Well, look, we, we're going to have to move on, but that is a sensational story. Mac, I Great can see you, you nodding oh, in yeah. agreement. You would know from your time in secondary school that mm. it can be hard to get kids' attention at any age. There you go. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Got it. Uh, we're going to come to more of your calls in just a moment, but I do have two November ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away. If you haven't won anything from our station in the past month, call in now on 1300 991. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. I keep playing that. It's Trevor Nottle and Deb Tribe today. And we've got Mac uh, Chukich in the studio from the Botanic Gardens as well. Um, I know that those magazines are going to go very shortly, but while we're waiting, Sandra from Hackham has called in. You've got a question, Re Columbine or Granny's Bonnet, Sandra. Yes, hi. I've got just one single plant um, in my back garden, Um Next to, I jam-pack everything in next to natives as well. And its circumference is about two and a half, three feet. So it's grown huge and it's come to, it's um, finishing flowering. I'm wondering how hard I can cut it back. Do you want it to set seed and grow from seeds in your garden? Um, Not really, no. I just want the one one plant. Yeah, you could cut it back to about 10 centimetres. And if you oh. give it give it a bit of water, it'll start to grow straight away, and you'll get and more flowers in maybe in six weeks. And how um, I know they're perennial, but um, are they? Will they live just for two years, or oh, they how? should they should live four or five years? Okay, yeah. all right, wonderful, and thank you so much for your help. Appreciate it, and thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks very much, Sandra. Thank you for the call. Um, oh, congratulations to Kayleen from Bellevue Heights and Jennifer from Coromandel Valley that have won our uh, prizes this morning, and we'll, I'll have more for you next week. Cameron is at Port Lincoln now. Hi, Cameron. How you guys doing? Um, yeah, I've got a white sapote I planted a few weeks ago. I got from Perry's Fruit Nut Nursery, and the leaves have started to curl up a little bit and turn slightly yellow. I was just wondering uh, what I could sort of 
is there something I'm missing? Probably. Warmth. (laughs) (laughs) I reckon, yeah, I reckon it's probably just cold weather and it really hasn't come warm yet. We've only had a few days that are warm. So I wouldn't be hugely worried if the, if the twigs and the main growth and are looking fat and plump, I wouldn't be worried about it. Okay. okay. It has started to, to, to flower and looks like little baby fruit on there. Should yeah. I pick those off? No. Uh, no. I mean, if it's a heavy crop, I would knock a lot of them off. But if just for your own satisfaction, three or four fruits would, wouldn't go astray. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Cameron. Sorry for all the callers who have called in late. Um, We can't get to you, I'm sorry, this morning. Um, But look, uh, I really appreciate your calls. Uh, Thank you to Wendy who said, I think as a swimming teacher, the answer is to make it fun. Kids learn more if you make it fun. They will come back. This would apply to gardening. On that, Matt Dukic, what are your tips? There's a getting few our tips. children involved. There's a few tips to get those kids in the garden and have that lifelong connection. Um, and that's what I love about the calls today is all those sort of lifelong things coming through. Um, so firstly, connecting with their interests. If you're not sure of what they're into, ask them what they love. They might love bluey. They might love sport. And then see if there's a way you can weave your garden in. Um, the next one is really choosing what you do plant with them. Um, there's a few criteria. So could it be eaten raw and just munch it out in the garden? That's great fun. Getting the broad beans with kids, for example. Uh, is it shareable? It's so fun to share. Um, how much space will those plants need and can you cram them in or will it need a lot of room is it going to be tasty is it going to be a nice sensory experience that they can crinkle and smell things like the mexican marigold they absolutely love there's that minty tropical smell that comes through Um, and lastly i'd say come along to maybe the kitchen garden at, at adelaide or another kitchen garden that inspires you take them along to as someone said earlier go buy some seeds um i i love popping into diggers and getting some advice um and then see if there's a, a patch or even if you've got a very small area some pots that you can just sort of begin to plant up in and if it's not great you can even start to think of a plastic storage tub as a little green house or things like that to adapt brilliant well matt uh jukic we know who you are now we've got your number so we'll talk to you again but do let us know when these school holidays programs are starting so we can have a talk about it i'd love to thank you so much as education coordinator of the botanic gardens and state herbarium for coming in this morning thanks for having me it's been great fun thank you super huge thank you to trevor nottle who has been our special talkback gardener this morning uh trevor i really look forward to seeing in print the short history of australian gardening that's not so short after all no Uh, tens of thousands of years but thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been great. It's been lovely to have you in the studio. John Lamb will be back with us in the studio next Saturday morning.